we have, um, for the last six weeks, uh, spent looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, the book of Philippians is a book about looking for joy and finding it. We have said now, I think this is our sixth or seventh time, um, the deepest longings of our heart um, are for true lasting satisfaction and not for immediate gratification. That that the the joy that we're looking for is something that we need to be able to hold on to in the hardest of times. That we were created for joy. And if we miss that joy, then we miss the reason for our existence. And looking for joy begins with confidence that God is working even when we can't see how it is that he's doing it. When, when we started a few weeks ago, um, I said that we are a, a little too familiar with certain passages in Philippians, that we use verses in Philippians as slogans or bumper stickers or, or refrigerator magnets. Um, and today, it, we hit one of those passages that is uh, a, a refrigerator magnet. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I would hear messages on Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And every message seemed to have the, the same alliterated point. Um, the source, my God. The scope, every need. The supply, his glorious riches. Jesus will bankrupt heaven to meet your needs. Um, and even though I didn't grow up in a uh, what people would refer to as kind of a health, wealth, prosperity type church, I still always came away with this idea that God exists to give me bigger, better, or more stuff. Um, and and I think that maybe some of us have, have experienced a similar thing where we come away hearing oh, God will bankrupt heaven to, to take care of our needs. And then it doesn't necessarily... Um, mesh with our experience, right? Um, we, we hear that message and, and we, we think, okay, God's going to take care of like everything that, that I, I'm short on. Um, and then it doesn't work out that way. We go, is, does this verse not apply to me? Um, I think that the reason that there's a disconnect between this verse than the way that we've been taught it and, and our experience is that there's a whole bunch of verses that precede this that nobody made refrigerator magnets out of. There's a whole bunch of verses before this that, that talk about our, our contentment in poverty and in uh, need and, and trusting God in the midst of those things. And to understand this verse, we have to understand that who it was originally written to, right? This was originally written to a, a church in Philippi in Macedonia. And, and the churches in Macedonia um, were people that were poor. And they weren't poor because they had gone into a bunch of consumer debt. And they weren't poor because they had made a bunch of bad decisions in terms of how to manage their money. And they weren't poor because they were unwilling to work. And they weren't poor because they were lazy. It, they were poor because they poured out everything that they had for the sake of the gospel. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, it says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's churches like Philippi and, and Ephesus. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according 
to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And he goes on to compare them to Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be rich. He, Paul's writing to a group of people that, that they understand need. They understand being without. And they somehow in their poverty became even more generous. And, and he talks about this wealth of generosity that came from their poverty and their joy. Well, when, when we look at people who are generous, we see people who are joyful. When we see people who are joyful, we see people who are generous. The, the two things go together. I, I have never met somebody who um, gave generously and lavishly with no strings attached. And then they went, well, that wasn't any fun at all. Like, it's, it's always the opposite of that. People, um, who, who give lavishly and extravagantly and they watch what happens as they do that, that like, they're so filled with joy of, of what that gift did. I, there was a guy named Jamie, um, that, that, uh, several years back, I, I flew into Nashville to talk to because, um, uh, he was considering helping our church plant in Los Angeles as we were about to launch out the second church plant in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so the, Jamie had actually set up some meetings with like three other families, but he wanted to hear like, what is it that God has been doing with you? And then what is it that God's going to be doing here as you launch out a group of people to go plant a church in another state? And so as as we talked, Jamie said, hey, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is like, you guys have been at this church planning thing for like three years. Um, how is it you have funded this? And I said, well, we raised support. And he said, well, what did that look like? And I said, well, you know, like for us, it was a very different experience than what a lot of church planners go through. Um, uh, the church that we were part of in Dallas uh, before we left, um, they they were a new church plant. They didn't have any kind of like missions uh, program set up. They didn't. Ha and so we went to them and said, Hey, we feel God, you know, calling us. Um, we have sensed the affirmation through the body here, through Fellowship Bible Church of Little Rock, where I've done a residency. Um, uh, we, we are just trying to figure out how it is that you would like us to raise funds to, to start this church. And um, the, the pastor of that church said, uh, Tim, like, who are the 20 people you're closest to here at our church in Watermark? And I said, well, then I started naming the families. And he said, why don't you just go to those families and ask them to stop giving to our church and give to you for the next three to five years? And I was like, oh, okay. Now, an interesting thing happened when we did that. Each family that we went to and talked, we said, this is, you know, kind of the direction that the senior pastor gave. And each person said, you know, um, we appreciate his perspective on that, uh, but we feel called to to not just give to you, but to give where we live. And so um, we're going to give here and we're going to give there. And so I told the story to Jamie. So 
Jamie decided he was going to go talk to his pastor. And he said, you know, hey, pastor, the, this, these church planning guys uh, have asked me to, to contribute. Uh, here's what they did um, with their church. What would you think about me redirecting my giving for three years? And uh, what I didn't know about Jamie is that Jamie uh, gave to his church 16% of his income. Um, he had been, he had started with 10% and then each year he tried to add a, a, a percent. Um, and so like his giving was probably one of the bigger chunks of money for this church. But this pastor said, Hey, you know what? It's all God's money. And if God is calling you to redirect it, he's going to take care of things here. Like if, if that's what you feel like God wants you to do, then do it. And, and you have our blessing. Well, his response was so gracious and so biblical and so loving and so kind and so not about me building my kingdom that it actually um, kind of convicted Jamie. And he's like, no, I, I have to keep being part of this. And so what he asked God for was the ability to not just give his church 16% of his income, but then to start giving us 16% of his income. And so for three years, as two of his kids were heading into college years, Jamie gave away a third of his income to help with the kingdom of God. What was amazing to me, like that part is, it kind of blows me away. Um, uh, but what was amazing to me was that at the end of three years, he wrote us the most beautiful thank you letter. And it was, thank you for letting me be part of this. Thank you for helping me see my faith stretched and tested. Thank you for inviting me into something that that uh, allowed me to see um, how much my things had had come to own me and how much um, my gratitude and my joy was was being hamstrung because I wasn't being free with the things that 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 God had given. And so um, uh, here's a guy who I mean he's having to live on less than or on two thirds of his income. And he's thanking us for the opportunity. This was kind of the idea of the people that, that Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to people who they have stretched it thin and, and Paul is writing to them and he is telling some, them something that they have to some degree already experienced. The joyful people are generous. And as he begins in Philippians chapter four, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have any opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need, and I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He, he starts talking about the fact that joyful people are generous. And he says, they're generous to people who are in trouble. He says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. It's, it's very similar wording to chapter 3, verse 10 that says, 
Um, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You're sharing in my trouble the fellowship of my sufferings, the fellowship of of, uh, my sufferings there. And so he he holds them up as a model in 2 Corinthians because they have given beyond their needs and they have helped someone in trouble. It's very much like Acts chapter 2 when when, uh, the Christians are all coming together and, and they're helping everyone that has need and they're sharing their things together as as if this isn't mine and that isn't yours. We're just helping each other out. And so he understands that joyful people are generous because they're helping people who are in need. And he also sees that joyful people are generous uh, even when other people aren't. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Think of the the craziness of this. Macedonia was one to Christ and churches were begun because Paul took three missionary journeys. And Paul went through that area and, and as he went through, he preached the gospel and churches were being planted and he was confirming and affirming and he was signing letters to them. And he was like, he was the guy who was, responsible for the church planning movement across Macedonia. And yet, he says, when I left Macedonia, no church, that is, all of these churches that I know, that I love, that I planted, none of them would enter into a partnership with giving and receiving. Like, you read that and you go, wow, that's weird. I, I can't imagine that. Shortly after we arrived in Texas, um, the CEO of Westside Pregnancy Center here in Los Angeles um, reached out to me. And uh, we had been partners with Westside Pregnancy Center for years. Um, and uh, we, I think we started in like 2005. And Tanya and I gave monthly um, as like we gave to our church. Um, and But we also uh, we we kind of looked at the Old Testament and the way that that people gave um, and they they gave 10 percent, you know, to the temple um, and they gave uh, 10% every three years to uh, help widows and orphans. And they gave 10% every three years to be able to have festivals and things like that. So we had set up our giving in kind of a similar fashion with the, the chunk of it going to our church, but then percentage of it going to help the marginalized widows and orphans, and then a percentage of it going to help in our community and, and for community events and things like that within our church. And so um, so that was just part of our regular pattern of giving. And, um, and we, uh, about once a year, we would look to try to do a kind of a bigger gift and we would actually save kind of all year so that we could sponsor a table to introduce more people so that then they could help support this, this outreach of, of helping these girls who were, um, they had a, a unexpected or unwanted pregnancy. They weren't sure how, and a lot of them, um, it wasn't that they wanted to choose abortion. It was that they were impoverished. And because they were impoverished, they felt like they had no options. And so at the time, there were 42 places in Los Angeles that you could get an abortion, but there was this one place that you could go. And if you wanted life-affirming choices, like, like, instruction on how to how to keep your baby and how to uh like and and financial help and diapers and things like that and so uh, it was something that that we wanted to be a part of well they they reached out to me and they said tim would you record a video um that we can use for promotion i said sure like i'd I'd be happy to do that Um, and they said we want you to specifically talk to pastors 
And I was like, you mean like to see about how they get their church involved? Because our uh, our church had just had begun um, uh, adopting families that were part of the Westside Pregnancy Center for things like Christmas. And, and so community groups would adopt a family and they would make sure that, that that family had gifts for their kids. And sometimes we bought things like bunk beds and sometimes it was toys, but, but it was trying to take care of the needs of these people. And I said, so you want churches involved like our church because she goes oh no we we have to step back and do uh just even a step beyond like before that we need pastors to be willing to give like for us um pastors are the least likely person to ever give to Westside Pregnancy Center. And I was stunned. I, I was like, what do you mean you're the least likely? They said, well, they what they're concerned about is their church. They they see the needs that their church has. And so all of their giving goes to the church and, and they are unwilling to look beyond that. And the stunned feeling that I had about that is probably the stunned feeling that you could expect Paul or or the, the people of Philippi reading this. You Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. You have this the sense of being stunned that that would even happen, that that would be a thing, is is amazing. And he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent uh, me help for my needs once again. I was in Thessalonica, and there's a church in Thessalonica, and they wouldn't help, but you did. And you did it over and over again. And so um, he says that, that joyful people are generous to people who are in trouble, and to people like when, when other people aren't, and it, with consistency. Um, it's, it's the idea of, of um, here in America, the, the only thing that we um, respond to more than a cause is a crisis. You think about this. Um, uh, in, in the weeks leading up to, or the weeks uh, just after Hurricane Katrina, um, Habitat for Humanity in two weeks' time took in $127 million because people saw the crisis. In April 2007, American Idol in one night raised $60 million to help people in Africa. Within Eight days of of the Haiti disaster, three hundred and five million dollars were raised. And and what is far less glamorous or attractive, but is far more needed, is the consistency that the Philippians showed. The the giving and receiving uh, that we refer to as kind of the idea of tithes and offerings. It's the consistent portion of our of our. Um, uh, income that we set aside to give away. Now, suddenly you get a little nervous when somebody starts talking about tithes and you go, hey man, uh, tithes was in the Old Testament. Don't talk to me about it because we don't really have to do that anymore. It's not in the New Testament. And I say, yes, I, I get exactly where you're coming from. Um, if your expectation in the New Testament is 10%, then, then Jesus blows that up because he says, um, if you have uh, two cloaks and, and you see somebody without one, give one away. That's 50%. Um, so the expectation is in the New Testament, we've moved beyond tithing, right? Um, uh, some of you, you hear the word tithe, you actually get a, a, a kind of smug sense of satisfaction because you think, I have meticulously given away my 10%. Um, and and you, if that's your mindset, then you're, you're, you're thinking about giving is kind of the wrong way. Um, uh, think about it this way. Uh, each of my kids, as they've learned to ride a bicycle, uh, have had training wheels on their bike. And tithing is training wheels to teach us to be generous. And, and training wheels are fine for, you know, kids that's five. But, but 
at the point where they're 10 or 15, if they still have training wheels, you go, what's wrong with that kid, right? And, and that's the way that tithing is. Tithing is, is something that, that God wants us to grow beyond. And he doesn't want us to say all to Jesus or 10% to Jesus, I surrender, 10% to Jesus, I freely give, right? I mean, it's, it's, he wants us to give everything and generously and extravagantly and, and for, to be marked by generosity and not by um, some law or rule that just helps us get started. And so joyful people are generous and they're, they're generous to people in need. They're generous when other people aren't and they're generous with consistency. But he goes on, he says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The, the, that idea of the fruit that increases to your credit, it's, um, uh, think about this. Paul wrote to another church in, in Macedonia, the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Um, and he says, everything I did, um, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and when, when he talks about joyful be, people being generous and then generous people being joyful, he understands this concept that it's more joyful to give than to receive. Now, some of us, when we're kind of being smart outs, we're like, well, it depends on if you're talking about being given a new car or a punch in the face, right? Um, uh, but, but sometimes I think we forget that it's more joyful to give than receive because sometimes we don't see what happens when our gifts go out. Think about this. Um, like our church is really generous. Like our, our church um, is, is I, I feel like, um, exceptional. Uh, in the way that that we uh, are generous, at not just in, in giving to the church, but in trying in to give outside the church. Um, uh, think about the the missionaries that we support, like the Rose. The, and then they, I think they might even be on the call. Um, like here's here's uh, two people that are um, encouraging and um, soothing and counseling people who are on the verge of burnout in ministry, and and missionaries who are about to to throw in the towel. Right. We get to be a part of that. We are also funding the training of about 40 church leaders in Guatemala um, who who don't know how to do biblical counseling. And so we're sending actually a couple from Costa Rica to Guatemala four times over the next two years to train this group of, of, of people. Um, we're participating in ministries like Love Justice, which fights against human trafficking. We give a, a percentage of all of our offerings to help a network of churches here in California and in the rest of the country to help plant other churches. Um, it, every week when we go to pick up groceries, uh, the, the food at, at First Baptist El Rio, we take a, a gift to them, not in any way to try to pay for the, the hundreds of dollars worth of food that they give us every week, but simply because Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we want to communicate to them, you have our heart. We're giving you a portion. And this is like Pastor Javier, he and I have had this conversation. And he's like, hey, you don't need to give us anything. And I, I said, Javier, I want you to have this because I want you to know where our heart is. Our heart is with you. We're partnered with you. We love you. We can't believe what you're doing for the people in our church. And we just want to participate with you out of love. And it has nothing to do with trying to pay you back. And he's like, okay, well, in that case, bring it on, right? Um, uh, but when when you start to see 
like so I don't know that we do we do a terrible job of talking about giving. Like first off, I don't know how many people since they've come to Mercy have said to me, uh, Tim, I, I don't know how to give. Do like do you have a box? Do you have a website? Um, like because we don't talk about offerings very often in our church services. And then we don't probably do a great job of telling you like what is happening with the gifts that you give and the gospel that's going forward. And so I confess that to you. I I will try to do a better job of that. Um, but we, we need to understand that, that generous people are joyful because they understand that it's better to give than receive. And generous people are joyful because they get to share in, in um, share joy with God uh, in the midst of their giving. This is this is what uh, it says. He says, um, uh, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more, and I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift she sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Think about the Old Testament word picture there. You, he's talking about giving, and, he, and he's talking about the joy that it gives to, to generous people, but he also is talking about the joy that it brings to God. And we are, we are not just um, becoming joyful as we're generous, but we are joyful with a joyful God who is receiving it, and, and we are, are doing something that is kind of an amazing thing that like if you read through uh, those of you who've been reading through the Bible, you probably hit this section in numbers where it was like, I don't know, 10 pages in a row where it just seemed like uh, they just changed the names, but they were listing out all the gifts that they gave and all the gifts seemed to be about the same. Like this guy brought a gold bowl and he brought a bull and a goat and three sheep. And, and then this guy brought a gold bowl and he brought a bull and a sheep. And like, and, and you're going through and you're like, what is that all about? Why in the world would they record all of that? And the idea is that they record all that because they want us to understand that the gifts that we bring to God are not our leftovers. They're not our castoffs. These are our, we are, we are saying something about what we think about God when we give to him generously out of our best of things. And so it's not like uh, we're going to Goodwill and we're just cleaning out the closet and, and we're, we're donating a bunch of stuff. It's we are, are proclaiming the worth of God through the the quality and the the beauty of our gifts and and so no matter what we say about God um, what we actually think about God probably is more reflected in our giving because it, it tells us what we think about God's worth and what we're willing to do and so if your view of giving is um, it's like a school assignment you know like I when I was in seminary I had professors that would allow me to contract contract for a grade if you want an A, you have to do this much work at this high level. And if you want a B, you have to do this much work. And, and if you want a C, then you have to do this much work. Like, and, and you could decide at the beginning of the semester which grade you wanted and, and, and go. And, and a very wise person told me, like, hey, if you contract for anything uh, higher than a B, then you are probably not doing a good job of loving your wife or uh, doing a good job of being a churchman. Um, and you should like, you should get B's and C's all the way through seminary, which is kind of a weird thing for somebody to say, but they're, what they're saying is like, Hey, you, you have responsibilities beyond this, right? Well, if you were doing a contract for a grade, you're going to do the minimum required to get to that grade. And if you see giving as contracting for a C, then you're going to just give 
the the least amount that you think that you need to give, and it's not something that that will both bring you joy and bring God joy. Like we should be giving of of our first and best, and 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 that should be part of of our pattern of life. And so generous people are joyful because they understand that when they worship through giving, they are experiencing joy along with God. Generous people are joyful because they participate in the lavish grace of the gospel. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The Caesar's household. I mean, like, oh, that's right. Paul led people in Caesar's household to Jesus. Um, when Paul wrote, he talked about the Praetorian Guard and how it was that he had led many of them to faith. Think of it like this. It's like he had won a whole bunch of the secret service in the White House over to faith. And the people were so encouraged by that. Were they encouraged by it because these were people of influence and notoriety? No. They were encouraged by it because the people at that time saw Caesar as a god. They thought like they like Caesar was one of the gods and he should be worshipped. And if you can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the household of a place where you're supposed to worship the the the, the emperor, then the gospel of Jesus Christ can take root absolutely anywhere. And so so when he says like, hey, generous people are joyful because they understand that they're participating in this lavish grace of the gospel. He ends with with the, the very last statement he makes in this book is so similar to how he begins the book. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Like he starts in, in I think, one, two and says, grace to you and peace. He ends and says, grace to you and to your spirit. And what he's doing is he is beginning with and ending with this idea of grace, because he wants us to understand that everything in between, all of his conversations about finding joy, all of his instructions about how to look for it, how to find it, where it's, where you can, it's all about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with his grace. It ends with his grace. And, and this grace or this unmerited favor or this undeserved love, it brings redemption and it brings joy. And the grace of God through Christ is the source of our joy. And the grace of God through Christ is what sustains our joy. And extending grace, the grace of God through Christ to others, is an act of generosity. And it's not a chore. And it's something that brings us joy. What God has generously given us, which is the gospel, our time, our talent, our resources, those things that God has given us bring us the most joy when we give them away. And so he says, look, joyful people are generous, and generous people are joyful. Joyful people are generous. They they give to those who are in trouble. They, they uh, give when other people don't. They give consistently. And generous people are joyful because they know it's better to give than receive. And, and they get to share in joy with, with God in worship, and because they participate in the lavish grace of the gospel. Now, if if I was trying to manipulate you, um, I would stop now and say, all right, and this is how you should give. Um, and I'm not going to do that. And and um, I'm not going to you know, talk about uh, our budget. Although here's what's amazing about the, the I guess I am going to talk about our budget um, uh, and not in a way to say 
give more because the budget's hurting. Um, but to, to say, uh, during this crisis, um, what, what Kirby and I prayed for was that we would never ask our church for a penny, that we would uh, instead just generously give as we had opportunity to people in our body and people outside of our body and, and to be able to, um, to, to give instead of asking to receive. And the amazing thing is that you guys have given more in the last couple months than I think in the history of the church. And, and, um, and we keep giving it away. And, and the bank account is growing instead of shrinking, and we have more opportunity to continue giving. And so thank you. It's been absolutely, it has brought us so much joy to give it away. And, and, um, I can't tell you what, what that's been like, but, but I'm, I'm, so the application here isn't, um, uh, here now give to the church. Um, it's, it's to say, um, if you are someone who is, is not living generously, then I'm just going to say you're missing out. And we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to think about your life and everything that God has given you, the gospel, your time, your talent, your resources, and understand that those things are best when you give them away. And, and, and to begin to live generously with your time, with your, your words, with, with, with everything that you have and everything that you are, because generous people are joyful and joyful people are generous. We are so thankful to be part of Mercy Chapel. Um, uh, and, and we are so grateful that we get to be in a community of people who are living generous, joyful lives. And my hope and my prayer is that Mercy will become known as the most generous and the most joyful group of saints that, that gather in our region, that people will know, like those are the people that they don't want something from me, they want something for me. Like that is, that is what we want. We were created for joy. And if we miss it, we miss the whole reason for our existence. Don't miss out on the joy that comes from generously giving the gospel, generously giving your time, generously giving your resources, generously giving of all that you have. Because you're going to find great joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy. And, and those offerings of, of generosity, you are sharing in his joy because he is enjoying that as a sweet-smelling aroma. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for Philippians. We thank you that you direct us to joy. And we understand that joy is not found in just what we do. Joy is found in you. And as you transform our hearts and as you make us new, you call us to a different kind of life. And in living that life out, not because of what we do, but because of what you made us, we get to experience joy. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the joy that comes through the suffering of Jesus. Thank you that there's this paradox that in his suffering and in his death, in his crucifixion, we experience the joy of new life. We experience the joy of redemption. We experience the joy of reconciliation. And then in that joy, we get to turn around and offer it to other people. Lord, I pray that we will be a joyful people, a joyful people generously giving of, of the life of the gospel that you have given to us. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask these things because we believe they're according to your will. 
So we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.